Romans chapter 8, again, we have been really plugging along slowly but deeply in this section of Scripture. And by God's grace, we'll get down to verse 30 today. But uh, Romans chapter 8, I'll start in verse 26, if you'll read, picking it up in verse 27. This is Paul the Apostle writing from the Greek city of Corinth, Greece, to Rome. But what's interesting is that he's not writing to the church at Rome. A lot of the epistles say to the church at Galatia or to the church at Colossae. This is different. He's writing to the Romans and it is this. It is a massive gathering of various independent small groups, some larger than others, throughout the Roman region and the epicenter being Rome itself. So it's not to a particular church. It is to all those who are of the church in the area of Rome. Making it short, he's writing to a bunch of Italians. (laughs) Likewise, the spirit also himself in our weaknesses or helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So, Father, teach us your awesome truth, your Bible. Here, on page, black and white, before us, in print, but this is eternal truth. And so, God, I confess today, I pray for your filling of your Holy Spirit, your anointing, because, Lord, how can we, mere mortals, handle the eternal truths of God without your assistance? So, Lord, be our Morial, be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. And um, getting back, as I said a moment ago, to the book of Romans, and just coming off the heels of those encouraging words that Paul taught us last time together, that we do not always know how we ought to pray as believers, which is an awesome statement because the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that the Christian is to be praying always. We are to be in a constant attitude of prayer. So listen, if you honestly think about that, you can't walk around with a list all day long because you're working, you're driving, you're living. You don't do that, but it says to be in prayer and that attitude of prayer, to pray always. How can that possibly be? Although that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are living our lives, we are breathing in the air and exhaling the air. Well, how about this? When we are living our spiritual lives, we are breathing in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, so to speak, and breathing them out. Meaning this, every moment of our lives as believers is an ongoing, continuous, perpetual conversation with God that is called prayer. We have a tendency to corrupt prayer many times by making it so systematic that we make it almost a regiment, and it was never designed to be that way. 
Look, I've read all these books. I've done it over the years that you're supposed to get up at this time. And anybody who doesn't pray longer than three hours a day is a loser Christian. And I've read them all, believe me. And I tried it all and it was a mess. I'm telling you right now, you're missing the mark if that's what you're thinking. I've got to just do it this way. Listen, you can do it that way, but knowing this, that when you get up from doing it that way, the God of the Bible is listening and talking with you, and you're talking with him in your thoughts and in your attitudes as you live your life on a constant basis. And then when that issue of prayer comes upon us, there's times when you and I do not know how to pray. Does God want to take this person home to heaven? Or to heal them? How do I pray when I pray in faith? Do I take this job or that job? What's the decision? What's the chorus? What's the ministry before me? How am I to deal with the issues that are pressing into my life? And you seem to run out of words. And the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit goes to prayer in us. Isn't that great? The prayer of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit resides inside the believer. And when the Holy Spirit prays, notice the place of origin. It's the Holy Spirit in you who's praying to heaven, interceding, talking to God the Son, God the Father for you, for us. And he does so with these groanings and these utterances that are without human ability to understand. And we praise God for that. So church, we dive in where we left off. It's the fourth and final argument in this Section of scripture, verses 28 to 30. And that is, we're on our way is the title. And we're looking at the host of heaven. We're looking at the host of heaven. And we saw this for a little bit last time together, but we'll finish it off here. And that is this. Number one, that heaven is working for us. Heaven is at work for us. That is a huge statement, but it is one nonetheless accurate. Friend, listen, according to the Bible, you have been created in the image of God. According to the Bible, God left his lofty throne in heaven and came to this sin-filled world and and was born like you and I were born and lived like you and I lived and in 33 and a quarter years was rejected by all, crucified and died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead for our justification. All of this according to the Old Testament scriptures to make this one thing clear. Simple thing clear. Are you ready for it? God loves you. He loves you. He wants you in heaven. But the problem is you and I are tainted by sin. We need to be clothed. We need to be washed. And that's only possible by the blood of Christ. And you might say, Jack, how do I obtain the blood of Christ? You obtain the power and the benefits of the blood of Christ by saying to him, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross according to the Bible. I believe that you died for me. And that I accept your sacrifice in my place. The just dying for the unjust. The innocent for the guilty. And I accept your Bible's offer of redemption that comes through Christ alone. That eternal life and forgiveness is a free gift, but it cost God everything he had. Don't ever call it cheap, my friends. No such thing. And so we learn this from verse 28. Tremendous. And we know that all things work together. Everything in your life is working together for good. And here's the prerequisite. To those who love God. And number two, to those who are called 
according to his purpose. In other words, he's describing a believer in one verse. He's announcing that the believer is someone who is called by God. The believer loves God, even though we've never seen God, we love him. And the Bible tells us that we've been called according to the purposes of God, that God has a plan for your life. My friend, listen, none of us should be living as a Christian, a purposeless life. If you're a Christian today and you don't know which direction to go or you don't know what God is stirring you up to do, then you need to hang on to him and pursue him and do the Jacob thing. You know, Jacob grabbed onto the Lord and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's an amazing, you know what I'm talking about? In Genesis, that's, a, that's an amazing event because Jacob's mind in his own business And the angel of the Lord, which is none other than what's known as a theophanies, Christ appears pre-incarnate. He appears to Jacob. He wrestles with, he wrestles with, listen, the pre-incarnate Christ picks the fight with Jacob. (laughs) But it's for this reason. The Bible says that they wrestled all night long. And the Bible says that when the, Angel of the Lord perceived that he could not prevail against Jacob. Okay, that's really wild. What's going on here? This is, this is God wrestling with Jacob. My friend, listen, God allowed himself to be caught by Jacob. The Bible says that he stuck out his hand and he touched his joint, Jacob's hip, and his hip went out of place. And the Bible says he limped all the rest of his life, but that was okay. Because you know what Jacob said? He said, I am not going to let you go. Until you bless me. God makes himself available to connect with you and to see the kind of fight that might be in you. Do you want God? That's the fight. Do you want him? How bad do you want him? And he's testing us and he tries us. And Jacob, listen, Jacob falls right into the trap, the beautiful trap of the love of God. I will not let you go. Until you bless me. I think God from heaven is waiting right now to hear from you and I. To say, God, I will not let you go until you bless my life. How about this? This is my, this is my prayer. You know this. Dear God in heaven, I'm not going to let you go until you favor my life. To have the favor of God. And we learned that that word no. It means this. Issues. Issues of the past. And we know that all things, that is the issues of the past, issues of the now, issues that shall come to us, the things that have been seen, the things that we're now going through, the things that we see now, being a witness to them. That very little word in the Greek has a great, great big definition. It means to be able to testify of having knowledge of being a witness, a participant in the experience or the experiments. God is moving. Christianity, listen, Christianity is not churchianity. You want to go to churchianity? That means just go, show up, leave, and it doesn't change your life. It's nothing but attendance. A lot of people live like that. Forget it. I don't want anything to do with that. I want to experience the living God. He is alive. He's living. Jacob got to wrestle with him. Then let's do the same. Let's, let's grab hold of him in prayer and say, God, I'm not going to let you go until you transform my life. All things work together for good to those who love God, to the called, to those who are called according to his purposes. Begs the question, are you a Christian? Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? It doesn't mean that you morally straighten yourself up. Do you all understand that? 
How many people have told you and I over the years, you know what, I'll become a believer, but I got to get my act together first. That's impossible. God saves those who cannot get their act together. Amen. Now, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a somewhat religious, mostly pagan home. I mean, it wasn't godless, exactly. It was a very moral home. But I grew up believing that this was an actual Bible verse. My mom would always say, God helps those who helped themselves. And it was amazing for me to get saved later on in life to find out that is absolutely false doctrine. God does not help those who help themselves. God leaves those who thinks they can help themselves. He leaves them alone because they're full of themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's why in life, every single one of us will be brought to a place where we can't get up. We can no longer do that thing anymore. We've done it all of our lives, but we can't do it any longer. And listen, God in his grace will let life just wear you down until you wind up being stripped of pride. The old thing that we pride ourselves as Americans, where we roll up our sleeves and get her done. That's got to die, friends. That's fine if we're building a bridge or going to war. That's fine. But it doesn't translate into getting into eternity. God will have none of it. It's all of Christ and Jesus alone. That word that we learn about knowledge, this knowing, listen to this. I love this. It's not a cerebral knowledge. It's not a theoretical knowledge. It's not a philosophical knowledge. But listen, it is a knowledge that is an experiential knowledge. The God of the Bible is to be experienced. It's the knowledge of knowing God on a personal level. That's what he's talking about. A perpetual, intimate, continuous intercourse of the mind of God to the mind of man. God meets you in the areas of your mind, so to speak, in your soul. It's beautiful and it's awesome. It's an experience that doesn't make something true. You can have an experience and think, well, then this is now truth. That's not exactly true or accurate, but a biblical truth experienced is what's called Christianity. A lot of people have experiences. We, you hear about them, you have them. I have experiences. People write and tell us about their experiences. And some of it's just life. People have them. I had a dream. It's funny. They'll come to me. Pastor, I had a dream. This is what my dream was about. What was it? What, if you don't know how much, I don't know. If you don't know, what am I supposed to know? Could have been burrito the night before. I don't know what it means. You, you talk to God about it. I've had a couple of dreams in my life. I got to tell you, when I was in uh, my 20s, and I still don't know what they mean, and I'm in my 60s. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe I'll find out someday. Maybe not. I don't really care. I don't live my life according to those dreams. I want to live my life's experience according to the word of God. And the Bible's telling us that he's bringing all of these things together and that he's moving in a very, very powerful way. We thank God for that. We know this, that word called there, you can circle it, it appears a couple of times. We know that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, Galatians 1 verse 15, Paul said, but when it, that is a, I'll insert pre-existing plan, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, that's a pre-existing plan that God had, and who called me, that's a pre-existing plan, through his grace to reveal his son in me. Paul, the great Paul the Apostle. Listen, I mean this. Are you listening? Yeah. The great Paul the Apostle was called 
to be a follower of Christ, just like you, just like me. You say, oh, no, no, that's, that's the apostle Paul. Same way, same thing. There's no difference. I can go so far to say all believers are to be called this way. That God separated you from your mother's womb. You didn't know that. And before your mother was ever born, God knew that he was going to separate you from your mother's womb. He knew throughout all time and eternity. And we'll study a little bit about that today. It's very deep, very comforting, very amazing. But I came to this, that in our United States military, it's a great honor to receive your commissioning or your orders to ship out, as they say. And once you have your deployment, right, you're in the thick of it. Well, God's example to our and of our deployment looks like this. Jeremiah chapter one. This is one of my life verses and I'm going to hang on to it to the day I die. When the word of the Lord came to me saying, or then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That verse has been in my life Since the very year that I got saved, somebody gave me that verse and I thought, well, that's cool. Uh, For me, it was regarding abortion. You guys know that I survived an abortion uh, 66 years ago now. And, um, And so somebody comforted me as a brand new believer. They said, hey, guess what? God had a plan for your life. You couldn't be killed in the womb. You couldn't be killed because God had this plan for you. And I took that. I took that to heart. I took that for real. It's in the Bible. And, uh, you know, you doubt and you waver from time to time. But over time, you keep going back to it. And you say, well, that's very awesome and that's very special for you, Jack. No, it's not. It's special for every single one of us. Every single one of us. The plan that God has for your life. You and I live our lives off of plans. Why can't God have a plan for your life? And then the Bible tells us that we have a purpose. That there's a purpose. And that word simply means that God, prothesis, that God has uh, a plan for you that preempts all things. This is where it gets deep, everybody. Maybe in your life, maybe it's in your junior high school kids' life. You're looking at them and you're thinking, what is this kid going to become? Remember when your parents looked at you and said, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What were you thinking? And then, you know, we live our lives and there's those transitional years of, of where we come to the, the, the age of accountability, where we are now responsible for our own decision making. And who, nobody knows when that is. Somewhere between 13 to 20 years of age, it differs between male, female, and among each and every one. You can't set a date on the day of your accountability. But one of the great signs is that when you become accountable for your own faith in your own life is the day that you start to rebel against authority. You know why people rebel against authority? Because they're looking for something or someone to be the head or the authority over them. And it's natural for a kid to say, basically, they don't say this, but it's time for me to break away from your faith, mom and dad, and from your leadership and find a greater leadership. That's what parenting is about, to point your kid to a greater leader. And that greater leader is one. That is God Almighty. So don't freak out if your kid is acting up. Point them to Christ. And if you say, I've done that, well, then pray for them. Just leave them alone. If they know the way to eternal life and you've told them that, now it's time to pray for them. Stop bugging them and chasing them down the street with a Bible and 
Leave them alone. Pray for them. They're in that great valley of decision, as it were, and they need to make that choice. But God's got a plan for their lives because he has a purpose for them. I'm convinced if America's youth today could have five minutes with the meaning of this word, you would see suicide rates go down. America's youth has a purpose and they need to know it. But we teach our kids that they're nothing but an evolutionary byproduct of a gigantic accident. How does that warm your heart? Does that just warm you up? Man, I'm really doubting my existence. I don't even know what's real. I don't know what I'm living for. Oh, dude, listen, cheer up. You came out of a primordial mud hole billions of years ago. You have no purpose whatsoever. You're actually at the top level for now of the, of the evolutionary chain. You're nothing more than a highly advanced animal. There is no God. And so go out there and act like an angel. No, when somebody begins to devour and consume one another, how dare we fault them? We, t- we put them in public school and tell them that they're animals and they've crawled out of a mud hole and they're an evolutionary byproduct. And then we, ask, we expect them to keep the rules. Why should they? It's the survival of the fittest, isn't it? No. God created us. He loves us and he gave us a purpose. And if, until you come to that purpose, you're not going to be content in life. And I'm speaking to the believer today. You can be a believer and not be content because you don't know what God called you to do. And I don't care how young or how old you are. That should be your Jacob experience. You're going to get a hold of God and you're not going to let go until he blesses you. It's a beautiful thing, church. The Bible says, listen to this, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, regarding our deployment into this world. And again, I've said this before, but I'm reminded of it Uh, Again, in mere Christianity, which everybody, Christian or not, if you're an atheist or if you're a Christian, you should read mere Christianity, which was written originally by an atheist. Did you know that? The great C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. C.S. Lewis, in mere Christianity, he's the one that writes that when, when God saves us, when God transforms our lives... He then calls us out into this world to take his message into enemy-occupied territory. You say, what do you mean by that? It means Satan's running around with his goobers trying to convince people that they have no purpose and that they just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow they go to hell. That's Satan's plan. God's plan is turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth. I'll give you eternal life. Come to me. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his poema, his poem, translated workmanship, craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That's a pre-existing plan, God's plan, that we should walk in them. The Christian is to walk in this wonderful, glorious plan. And it's a beautiful thing. So when you talk about him wanting to do uh, this work in us, the Bible here tells us that his work in us is to bring us about to understand this good. Look at the word good that's there. The word good is generous, kindly. Only that which is a good thing. All things work together for... Listen, everybody, you need to get this under your belt today. God God is at work in your life 
to bring about the word is generous, kindly, only that which is good. You say, Jackie, you have no idea what's going on in my life. Maybe I don't, but God does. And if you're a Christian, he's actually using this. He may not have caused it, but he's using it. And I wrote this down. I want to read it. The exact same reality that was working in Noah, Job, Joseph, David, Peter, Luther, Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Samuel Adams, Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, Dr. Ed Heinsohn, Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll, Dr. David Jeremiah. Well, I was not done. Me, I don't know if I was ending with me and you. That's a fact. God's good hand is upon you. If you today say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Then if that's true and you believe it, where's your faith in this sense? Where's your faith? Because you ought to expect now, even today, after church, when these doors open up and you go out into the world, you should expect God to do something through your life. I'm not talking about being bombastic or strange. Just expect God to intervene. You see somebody that's pulled over and you, and, and, and you have a tug. I should stop. That's not from you. That's from God. Pull over. See, I don't know how to change the tire. Maybe you can't, but maybe you can say, you want to use my cell phone or something? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the battery ran out on the Tesla and they need a charge. <laughs> Seems to be the trend these days. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 3, 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men. Oh boy, look at us. For we all are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come. All are yours. And you are in Christ and Christ is in God's. That is God's protective care. But a beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes. Friends, listen. The horrible relational... Maybe you're going through a terrible divorce right now and it breaks the heart of God because he hates it. Turn to Christ, follow Christ, draw near to him. Maybe it's a great sickness in your home or a great disease or a cancer. The temptation is to be angry at God, to take a swing at God. Friend, you're angry at the wrong one and you're taking the swing at the wrong one. Draw close to him and God will give you the answers to the dilemmas that are unfolding in our lives. These dilemmas are dilemmas to us, but not to God. God, you know all these things. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world. That we should be, listen, holy, without blame, before him in love. Are you kidding me? Listen, You know how you pick on you and others pick on you and you pick on others? God doesn't do that to his kids. According to God, your legal positional standing before God is in heaven. 
God sees you washed in the blood of Christ. That's why we need to act like it, church. Listen, I could sit here all day long and say, these are these 10 things you got to stay away from. Don't go to Joe, Joe's Barn Grill. Don't go to this uh, rated movies. Don't drink this and don't smoke that and don't this. And I can, let's lay out the rules. Unfurl the rules. Thou shalt not. And you know, we can do that. That's called religion. Let's lay them out. Listen, those are all good things to avoid. Here's the thing. Religion seeks to impose that upon you to get you to do it, but religion doesn't give you the power to get away from those things. Re- listen, religion cannot give you the, the attraction to flee from them. The number one thing to correct anything in your life that is aberrant from the will of God, to live before Christ in the present right now, think about it, that your actual address is not Chino Hills, or it's not Diamond Bar, or Beverly Hills, or it's not Newport, or it's not Ontario. Your actual address as a believer is heaven. And that being a true theological fact, we are supposed to conduct ourselves like this, and it is impossible to do it. But the Holy Spirit changes your heart, and you don't need a list anymore. Can you imagine being married to some nut who, as a wife, you've got to track him down all the time because he's lived like a tomcat? You got to track his phone. You got a tracker on his car. You got a chain. Maybe you got a reel. (laughs) The guy, you don't know what he's going to do. He's been so unfaithful, sleeping around, tramping around. And then he comes home and he says, I love you. Exactly. You just made the point. But if a man has everything thrown at him in this world in the kitchen sink and stands firm because he does love you, that causes your heart to soar. If a thousand temptations were paraded in front of you and you said, nope, I know what God's plan is for my life. And I will not lose it. And I will not retard it. And I will not be rendered unusable. Greatest safety to have on your life is to love God. Does that make sense? Your love for God will keep you to the point where there's no list that could be created because you're excelling that list by the love of God. It's not legalism. It's love. It's a wonderful thing. I have a lot of scriptures, but I don't know if I have much time. But uh, tell, the, tell the children's ministry. We'll just go all day and see how they handle that. Um, I want to read you a quote from uh, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, tremendous pastor of yesteryear. Our lives are not the haphazard results of the moving of blind chance, nor the throwing down of cosmic dice. All that comes to pass in our lives is according to the perfect eternal plan of the all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving Father. The fact that a man has been chosen according to God's eternal purpose immediately surrounds him with the protective care of the Holy Spirit. 
Nothing can touch the man unless it has passed through the approved process of the will of God. No situation that comes to you can overpower you in Christ. And all God's people said, that is an awesome, awesome bit of instruction. Everything's father filtered because all things work together for good to those who are called according to the purposes of God as you love him. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. You know this one. In fact, it's echoed again in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians, it's echoed. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which raises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Do you understand? Listen, the reason why when the wicked condemn and attack you, you don't have to say a word about it. You don't have to defend yourself. I spoke at something yesterday and I was email. I was text. Sorry, on my way there, I got a text and it says, oh, by the way, uh, there are people here in the audience. They literally hate your guts and you should know that. And I thought, well, that's a great thing to hear right before you speak. But actually, I kind of love that kind of stuff. But, um, but the thing is, wait, 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 wait a minute. What is it? What is it that, that offends you about my life? What's wrong? What's, if it's all these things that you are offended that, really, you're not attacking me, you're attacking God. You're pro-life. Guilty. You love America. Yeah, I do. I think Germans ought to love Germany and I think Mexicans should love Mexico. And I think, I think that's why God made borders. So what's wrong with that? Uh, if you're going to hate me for something that is good, I just read that a moment ago that what is going to happen is that the heritage of the servants of the Lord is their righteousness, which comes from God, not us. Not us. If you're going to hate us, hate us for what Christ and the word of God has declared to be righteous. Amen? Did you get that? That's, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, I'm just looking. I'm going to skip. I'm going to, if we, we'll come back if we have time. We'll come back if we have time. Secondly, is in verse 29, heaven is increasing in us or within us. Heaven is increasing. I, I, um, I, I, I personally believe this. I can't prove it, but I just love it. So as a pastor, uh, I see people, I see Christians dying. And I get to announce at their, what we call graduation service. Remember, Christians never have a funeral. This is a funeral. Oh, where are you going? A funeral. A friend died. Listen, that, you, we, we better not ever do that when a Christian passes. I told you guys before, we need to do it like they do it down in New Orleans, in Memphis. Listen, when one of our black brothers and sisters die, they know how to do it. We're all, we're all white about it. What's the matter? Jack died. Uh... So where's Jack? He's in heaven rejoicing. <laughs> so what are you crying about? Man, when, when, a, when a brother and sister dies down south, they pull out the saxophone. They've got drums. They're going down the street in front of the, the 
motorcade or whatever it is, and they're praising God and singing and shouting. That's exactly how I understand our entrance into heaven. The Bible says when a believer dies, a broad and great entrance is provided for them into the kingdom of God. And the angels are rejoicing. Man. Now listen, when a, when a believer dies, a believer relocates. That's it. Well, I'm, I'm going to the celebration of a relocation ceremony. Or graduation. And when a believer dies, I like to look at it this way. Heaven has just increased inside of them so much, the body can't contain heaven anymore. The real believer's got to get out. It's like a turtle getting out of a shell. For whom he foreknew, the foreknowledge of God. Circle it, please. He also predestined. That means predestination is based upon foreknowledge. To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know what that's called? That's called discipleship making. That's called building up believers in the likeness of Christ. It's what's happening right now here on this Sunday morning. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Christ in conjunction with the Holy Spirit's joy is to crank out believers who act like Jesus, talk like Jesus. And if you've got, uh, you know, eyes on this person, you might be thinking, is that Jesus? I'm not talking about the robe and I'm not talking about the hair. It's when somebody says something, listen, sometimes it might cut straight to your heart, but you know it's true. Sometimes it brings you the only comfort and no one's ever been able to bring you to the comfort. Sometimes you stand there with them and say nothing and the Holy Spirit through you ministers to them a peace. But it's God's desire that in our lives, Christ be seen in us. And how does that work? Number one, his foreknowledge. There is no such thing as predestination without foreknowledge. And let me tell you something real quick. I'll get ahead of myself, but we'll come back and repeat it again. It's this. Anybody saying that God predestinated people to hell has never read the Bible from cover to cover. There is no such doctrine in the Bible. Oh, God predestined you. Oh, God. Oh, he didn't predestine you to heaven. You've got to, Sorry, you got to go to hell. He, he, he predestined you to heaven. You know, oh, you don't want to go to heaven. Well, too bad. You're predestined to go to heaven. That's insanity. That's some capricious, whimsical. You know what that is? That's more like the Allah of Islam than the Yahweh of the Bible. No one is predestined to hell. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that. All predestination is preceded by a doctrine of the Bible. And you just saw it a moment ago, and I said, circle it. Foreknowledge. God, watch, listen, God has foreknowledge of all things. Listen, this is where it gets tough. This is where I prayed this morning. God, help me. It's not the foreknowledge. The word that God has as foreknowledge, it's not the foreknowledge like this. Um, uh, who who won the Super Bowl? Or, or who's going to win uh, this or that? I haven't watched it yet. Who's going to win? And you might say, oh, I watched it. I'll tell you who. I have foreknowledge. I know, I know who won. You know, like maybe there's some games going on today and we're DVRing these games and then we're going to go home and see who wins, but the game's already over by the time we get there. That would be foreknowledge. People have taught this this way. Listen, that's pathetic. That's the human, that's as close as we can do as a human. God's foreknowledge is not like that. 
Oh my goodness. God's foreknowledge, his foreknowledge is as sure as the literal existence of God himself. He didn't learn something from you in eternity that he wiggles into the plan before there was ever a physical universe as God being himself from all eternity. He knew through the eons of time those who would say yes to his message and those who would reject his message. He knows. He can't learn anything. He has absolute foreknowledge. It's not like you know who to bet on because somebody gave you an inside. That's ridiculous. It is so beyond us, we cannot comprehend it. That God's foreknowledge. We can, the best we can do is this. God who knows all things cannot learn anything and that before him, him being by nature eternal, everything that has ever been, is or shall be is happening in front of God now. In one blink of the eye. And that blows our minds. And when the gospel is presented to you on that day of that year, whenever that was, God knew And he knew the decision that you would make. He didn't make you make the decision. Did you hear that? There's a lot of loonies, I'm telling you right now. Some of them are famous that are running around saying stuff. Oh, sorry, you know, you're not in our group. Well, then you're not predestined. Dude, I thank God I'm predestined not to be in your group. That's sick theology, man. That's not Bible. By the way, predestination based on God's foreknowledge is always in the positive affirmation of salvation. That's the only time the doctrine pops up. You say, didn't, didn't Pharaoh, didn't Pharaoh did, uh, reject God and didn't God uh, harden his heart? Yeah, he did. Read it carefully. God told Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. God said, let him go. Ten times. God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Ten times, uh, ten times Pharaoh stood in wet cement, so to speak. And by the end of the day, the cement had dried. If you keep saying no to the Lord Jesus Christ, someday the cement's going to dry. And we're going to learn about it. Who's not going to learn about it? God, because he has always known based on his foreknowledge. What a comforting thing. Do you want God in your life? Do you want to follow Jesus? You know why? It's because you have finally arrived at what he has always known. That'll kind of give you some comfort, won't it? By the way, you can write this down with what time's left for us, you guys. There's technically, theologically... Here in Romans 8, 29 and 30 is the fact that there's five all-inclusive supernatural effects that are at work. Five of them. Call them birthmarks of the Christian life. Five of them. And you're starting to receive them now. Number one is foreknowledge. Number two is predestination. We've talked about this. Listen, Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 
I love the stability of that. Why do you think God wants you to know that? So you can rest and trust him. What about Psalm 138 verse 2? For you have magnified your word above all your name. What a comfort. I wrote myself this note. I'll read it. It's comforting to know that not one of these realities can be separated from the other. You cannot have two out of the five, nor can you have four out of the five. Every believer who trusts the Lord Jesus has received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who has guaranteed his absolute and total fulfillment of these five experiential truths in the believer's life. And it is this great and lofty five strings that if you go back to the beginning of our reading, as I'm doing right now to get to the front of it, listen to this as I exaggerate this. Watch. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the preamble. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, number one. He also, number two, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called and whom he called these he also justified and whom he justified these he also glorified every christian has all five of those active in their lives today that's why the bible says these things have been written that you might know you have eternal life none of us are perfect we fail often but we're disgusted about it but this truth is this we know that those five links are at work in our lives And he speaks to you. He calls to you this glorious truth. And we're so grateful. The increasing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so verse 29, for whom he foreknew. The word foreknew is to, uh, it's a soul, again, a soul attribute attribute of God himself. It's not that God knows things before they happen. He certainly does but it's that he has known all things before time was ever assembled. And you cannot separate him knowing. This is what's amazing. Your salvation, you being a child of God is just as, can I say, it's just as old or it's just as factual. It's just as true as the very existence of God himself because you cannot separate the two. It's so amazing. Jeremiah 31.3. Maybe this will make more sense to us. We read this all the time. The Lord has appeared of old to me. A long, long time ago, God appeared saying, yes, I have loved you. Don't say it out loud. What's your name? Put your name in there. I have loved, fill in your name, with an everlasting love. How long is everlasting? We can only say the word. We have no idea. If you say a long time, you're wrong. Forever is good. How do you explain forever? We live in a fine line. We We don't have that kind of a world to understand. We don't have that kind of capacity to understand. It doesn't matter what we come up with. Our finite mind cannot come to the conclusion of what God has communicated to us. No wonder why it's going to take eternity for us to worship God. Think about it. It's going to take that. An everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. 
Notice, who does the drawing? God does. Who's he pulling on? You. Is God saying to you today, hey, listen, you're messing up your life. You're crashing your life. You're a sinner. That's all you live for is pleasure. You'd rather not have me in your life. And I'm telling you now, you need to repent from that and come after me. If you're hearing that from God today, that's because he's drawing you. You can't even think that way without God's spirit touching your life. What a great comfort. John chapter one, verse 43. I love this. See the word predestination or predestined? Well, we're going to read about it in John 1, but listen. The word predestined, to be ahead of eternally beforehand. To have foreordained in eternity past manifested in the now. So watch what happens. Are you guys with me still? John 1, 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Okay, stop right there. Skeptic in the house. This is admissible evidence in the court of law. This is the Bible and it has been in the court of public opinion and in the court of uh, secular scrutiny for thousands of years. Okay, are you with me, everybody? This is admissible. It's on trial. What do we know? We have eyewitness accounts. What happened? Listen, my Jewish friends, listen. Seriously. All the people I just read you just a moment ago, they're all a bunch of Jews. And what did the Jews say? We found him. The one Moses talked about. The one the prophets spoke about. We found him. They didn't have any problem with what the modern day Jew struggles with today. Why? Because of religion. Isn't it interesting that their first encounter with Jesus, it was crystal clear to them. We recognize you from reading the Bible. Why don't you read the Bible? Maybe you'll recognize Jesus. And so the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) And Philip said to him, come and see. Oh, that's my word to you today. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Watch this. Jesus is so precious. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see. Watch. Heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Do you know what scholars 
postulate. It is a, uh, it is an, it's a, it's a pretty good educated guess, but none of us can prove it. When Jesus said to him, here's an Israelite and there's no falsehood. This guy's, this guy's got a great heart. He says, Nathaniel says, how do you know if I have a great heart? He says, I saw you under the fig tree. It implies that the fig tree was not within sight. That's what made it, that's what freaked them out. Number two, when Jesus confirms it to him, he says, you think that was something? Well, from here on out, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon me. It implies without saying so that Nathaniel was under a fig tree reading the book of Genesis about Jacob's ladder when Jacob laid down and had a dream and the ladder went up to heaven and the angels were ascending and descending regarding the coming of the future Messiah, Jesus answered his dream and he freaked. (laughs) That is a cool guess. We can't prove it. Pretty cool though. One One thing is sure, it got his attention right? Ephesians chapter two, verse four, church, Ephesians two, four says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ for by grace, you have been saved. How are you going to get to heaven? By grace. Money? By grace. Works? By grace. Uh, Status? By grace. Morality? Nope. By grace. All of those things do not matter to God matters to us. Be a good person, pay your taxes, drive the speed limit, vote, vote with your Bible open. Uh, be nice to people. We like that. And so you should, but those won't, those do not get you into heaven. Only Jesus can get you into heaven. And don't even think for a moment that you can bring that stuff in your little wagon. Can you imagine? You got a little, you have all your stuff, all your good stuff. I did all my work. Because you know, there's people that always say, well, I think I'm okay. I think in the end, you know, the, the good's going to outweigh the bad I'll, and I'll be fine. Yeah, really? You just throw the dice down there on the table for your soul. So you got, your, you got all of your morality, all of your goodness in a, in a wagon. And you're bringing, it, you're bringing it before the judgment of God. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> and God goes, what, what, uh, what's in the wagon? Being really good guys, best, I voted most likely to succeed. This is donations to... You know, various ministries. This right here, I helped people across the street and I, and I built this relief center down. Yep, mm-hmm. there you go. And God might say something like, the problem was I, 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 I. Instead of the I am, the I am, the I am, the I am. The great I am did it. It's Dr. H.A. Ironside that points out that heaven is full of sinners having been forgiven by the grace of God and washed clean by the blood of Christ. 
Don't you love being around people that appreciate things? Yeah. It's nothing worse than to be around people that don't appreciate things. It's just really, a, it's something you have to pray for me about it. As I, I get older, I appreciate things more. And, um, and you know, I mean, they're telling us, I just saw in the news today that we better eat all the meat we can right now because we're going to be running out of meat. Is that true or false? Or is that being spun by the people who sell meat online? I don't know. The thing is this. Did, did that, is that, is that going to keep me awake? No. Because I've learned how to live off of pork and beans. Well, what if there's no pork and beans? What if there's only pork? Then I'll eat the pork. What if it's only beans? Well, we'll eat the beans. What if there's no more pork and beans? We'll eat the grass. Well, what if you die? Woo! <laughs> Which is where we end right here. Verse 30. Heaven. Heaven is calling to us. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he justified. Think about it. Based on his foreknowledge, he predestined you to respond knowing, knowing that you would arrive to the moment of hearing the good news. God knew in all time and eternity that he would build into man who was created in the image of God, the ability of choice. Think about it. God didn't take your ability to choose and make you choose. God gave you the ability to choose. And for all eternity, he knew that when the news would be presented to you, he knew how you would choose, not because he made you, but he looked down the corridors of time and he saw your response to the offer of accepting Christ. Based on his foreknowledge, he predestined, he called you, he invited you to come because he justified you at the cross. That, isn't that amazing? When will you be justified? Excuse me, friend. The Bible says positionally we're justified already. God looks at us justified. That's why he prays. I mean, that's why when you pray, he listens. And when you open up the Bible, that's why he talks. And glorified. He also glorified. It's in the past tense, everybody. So let's stand. To be justified is to be revealed, to show, to be righteous, to be declared righteous. To announce the acquittal or to be vindicated. Who does that? God does it. Who does he do it to? Well, he does it to those who are called. Well, how do I know if I'm called? Well, you're predestined. Well, how do I know if I'm predestined? Well, it's based on God's foreknowledge. Well, how do I know if that's for me? Do you want it? Do you want God in your life? Some say yes, some say no. Those who say no, God knew the day that they would be given the offer and they would say no, God knew in eternity that they would reject him. Those who would say yes, God knew in eternity that they'd say yes. So that those who wake up in hell have nobody to blame but themselves. And those who wake up in heaven give God all the glory for having provided the way to get there. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Church family, listen. Whoever you may be, maybe you're watching us right now. Wherever you're at right now, 
You can say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I need help. I need salvation. I repent of the things that I've done wrong, God, that you know. If you're the God of all eternity, you knew all about my life. That means you know about my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to wash away my sins and make me a new creation in Jesus. Make me your child, God. And I receive that free gift you're offering that cost you everything I receive it. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Friends, if you believe that, you tell somebody today. Today, how about this? Before you get to your car, tell somebody this. I accepted Christ today. Tell somebody. Don't be ashamed of him who was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. What an amazing God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.